I'm Austin Lugo. I'm Andrew Harp. This is With Nothing to Say. Let's talk about the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie. Before we get started today, just a quick shout out to our friends at Ferrand on Film. This is a really interesting, cool podcast. It's uh, by a film teacher and former student, Adam Ferrand. He is a teacher at a wonderful university, and in his podcast, he basically runs an entire film school. It's really interesting, really cool. If you can't afford to go to film school, strongly suggest listening to this podcast, Ferrand on Film. Go give them a listen. So this week we're talking about the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie. This was my week to pick a film. Since last week we did watch Tempopo and I wanted to watch something by Luis Buñuel. I was back and forth between a few different films. Uh, the reason I picked this one in particular was actually, well, actually I didn't know I was picking this one. I thought I was picking another of Luis Buñuel's films, but ended up picking this one, which is why I was a little confused when I first started watching it because I was like, oh, it's pretty sure this film was in black and white. Wait, which movie did you mean to pick? I don't know what it was called, but it was another Louis Bunel film. What that film was about, it was basically an entire film that took place in one room and like they could never like, and they just like never left the room for like the whole film. Are you talking about like an exterminating angel? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, but it doesn't matter because I picked this one. And Andrew, how would you describe this film, which isn't that film? The film consists of several kind of like linked um gatherings like it's like a handful of gatherings and then a handful of dreams so it's basically all it is is that it's just like meetings and gatherings and then dreams um among this group of like i think like five or six um uh like friends and family members that know each other that are you know they're rich people you know they're high up um you know one of them is an ambassador kind of like going back and forth between like dreams and meetings and dinners and stuff. And that's basically the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One interesting thing about this movie is it's, you can't really tell what's like real and what's not. And that, that's true yeah. with a lot of Luis Bunel's films is there's kind of this certain absurdity, everything under everything. And it's just kind of accepted by all of the characters. Like that's just how the world of the film works, which is why when it ends up being a dream, as we'll get into later, you don't know that it's going to be a dream because everything is because everything in reality is so absurd that when there's stuff that's like dreamlike, like you can't tell what's a dream and what's not, which makes this whole film very like surreal. And you're constantly trying to figure out, you know, what's actually going on and what's, you know, just the imagination of one or two of these characters because everything, even in the real world, is just weird. Yeah, once they introduce like dreams into the movie, you're kind of like, okay. Is this a dream? Is this real? There was a couple of times that I called it like um, like the scene where he uh, where one character shoots another character. As soon as he pulls out the gun to shoot him, I'm like, oh, he's dreaming, isn't he? And then right after that, he wakes up. I'm like, okay. Yeah, once the idea of like somewhat dreams that are kind of like somewhat real, but also not come into play, you're kind of like, I really don't know. You know, yeah, like you said, it's kind of hard to tell if it's a dream or not. So the film opens up. It's nighttime, driving around, credits roll. You know, it's blah, blah, blah. And you're just driving around the city. moving. And I think it's interesting that the opening credit scene is really one of the only scenes that has like a ton of movement. Slow, very um, patient kind of camera movements. And the camera movements, like 
it's just like absolutely beautiful. Like the way he'll move the camera and everything kind of moves, but through a lot, the film and a lot of his films are films that are very specifically framed and everything's supposed to have a very particular place. So I think it's interesting that when the film opens, it's basically just put a camera on the front uh, window of a car and they're like driving around and they're in France. So basically the opening scene is that like a group of people, a couple, ambassador friend, uh, Rafael Acosta, he's sort of a protagonist. There's not really any like protagonist or antagonist, mm -hmm. but he's like, I guess the character that's most interesting to me. And he's like the ambassador of a fictional South American country called Miranda. And uh, the couple, uh, I think it's the woman's sister is also with them. And that's kind of the core characters for the most part. And then they arrive at this woman's house um and they're like we're here for the dinner ha 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 you know like what's up how's it going and the woman and this woman comes down alice and she's just like what we weren't expecting you at all <laughs> you know they have like this conversation about like oh i thought you know it was tonight like no it's actually tomorrow night oh well what do we do now uh well i, I want to go out to eat uh we should go out to dinner and the, you know they have like this like kind of long conversation where um you know, they're like, uh, you know, there's no dinner here. Maybe we should go out. And Alice is like, ah, I don't know about that. Like, oh, let's go ahead and do it. And then they go and they're like, oh, there's a nearby end we can go to. And they go to this end and yeah, and like the door is locked and <laughs> they're, you know, they're knocking at it and like a waitress comes out. Uh, she says like, you know, uh, the restaurant's under new management. Uh, you know, we're still open, you know, come in and have some dinner and they go in to eat. <laughs> And when they go into their restaurant, it's absolutely em empty. Like there's no one in there except them. And they're really concerned about this. It's like, well, how can this place be any good if there's no one here? And then they're looking at the menu and they're like, oh, the food's really cheap, which I guess is another suspicious thing because it is important to note that all these people are part of the bourgeoisie. They're very wealthy. And the entire film is them trying to eat. It's, it's expecting and so hoping to buy yeah. others. Like their entire life revolves around food. Like it doesn't revolve around their work as ambassadors or whatever other work they do, their entire life is just basically being fed by others. So they're sitting down, they're waiting to eat, and they hear like these these wailing cries. And so all, all three women go up and they walk into this other room. And in the other room is a crying old woman. And next to that crying old woman is a dead man <laughs> who happens to be the manager the old manager, and they're just holding awake uh, while they're about to be served dinner. <laughs> and so the the bourgeoisie couples are like, this is kind of weird. We should probably leave. But I love how the the like waiter or sommelier or whatever is like, no, 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 no stay. Like we're, we're stay, told. Yeah, we're, we're, we are open. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's one of those moments in the film where this entire film is so surreal and strange. It has this weird tone to it. And I think part of it is, Luis Buñuel plays the film very straight. So like, even though there's a lot of moments that are very silly or absurd or weird, Luis Buñuel plays it with a very serious tone, which creates kind of this uh, juxtaposition between what the audience is feeling and what the characters are feeling, which I enjoy a lot. I think that's one of the reasons I love Luis Buñuel's work is because it has this David Lynch quality, you know, pre-David Lynch, you can tell like, where Lynch kind of got some of these influences. He's very, Louis Bunnell is also someone who's very interested in dreams and, you know, what is reality and what isn't. And this is just kind of one of those moments where, you know, they're holding a wake while they're serving dinner. But of course, the bourgeoisie couple is like, I don't think we're going to eat here. So they ended up leaving the inn. 
Yeah, that opening, uh, for some reason, I don't know what it is. I find their meetings and their conversations like weirdly compelling, even though they talk about nothing at all. That, honestly, that's like that's kind of like my favorite part of the movie is kind of like the build up to kind of like the kind of like the absurd comedic moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like the opening part where it's, yeah, it's revealed it's a corpse. It kind of sets up the movie pretty well for like the rest of the stuff that's going to happen throughout. There's also something like it kind of reminds me of like a Mikhail Henneke's work. Mm-hmm. Like it kind of reminds me of like funny games and um, cachet. I don't know why I like I, I was very reminded by those movies just because like those movies are also pretty like bare and a little drab. The movies are bare and drab, but like the thematic elements are very um, dark and have a lot to do with like money and wealth and colonialism and stuff like that. And on a, at a very like subtle level at the surface, like everything is very um, <laughs> like very like uh, clean or, you know, everyone's like very wealthy and well off you know, underneath it all, there's like a, a very, very strong, uh, disgusting, festering, like sickness. I think Henneke does it the best, but I think in this movie, it does it pretty well too. Yeah. I think that's one of the weird things about this film. And I would say uh, Luis Bunel has, a, has, one of his films is about a guy who just stands on like a post. And that's like the whole film. It's just like a guy standing on a post. And Luis Bunel does this with almost all his films, which they're, they're not plot driven at all, which I think is, it's a very difficult thing to do well. And the fact that in this film, it's literally just a sex template, sex tet of rich people going to sit down for dinner and just like being interrupted and never having that meal. The fact that an entire movie can revolve around that and that can be interesting and intriguing is just so, to me, just so spectacular and amazing. And it just kind of like boggles my mind because I, I think it's really easy to make a film exciting when you have like a really intense subject. Like the reason people go see Michael Bay films is because it's really easy to make a film entertaining when there's explosions and car chases and all that kind of stuff. It's awesome. I love it. (laughs) But it's so much harder to make a film that's pretty much about not like it's literally just people sitting around and the fact that they can make, I mean, the entire film is really just people talking. And to make that entertaining is so challenging. The fact that I think Luis Buñuel does it masterfully in this film is uh, just a nod to how incredibly talented he is because he did write the film too. So as a writer and a filmmaker. I think both kinds of movies are equally hard to make. Uh, They're just like different, you know, there's like, like if you're making a Michael Bay movie, like, yeah, you're going to have to think about like how a a scene is going to look, you know, trying to think about like where all the like, explosions and action and car chases are going to be obviously discreet charm doesn't have any of that but it, it definitely is like different sensibilities in terms of like thinking about like okay how can we make this compelling when it's just like kind of like nothing going on so yeah it's definitely uh it's definitely it's pretty effective it's very good i guess to continue you know they're at the embassy in miranda now and uh, all the guys are meeting. So it's like the three dudes um, and they're talking and stuff. And of course they just nonchalantly, nonchalantly uh, bring up the fact that like uh, they're cocaine dealers, like, <laughs> which I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, I, I assume that if I assume most ambassadors probably like deal drugs, like, like, why would they not, you know, they can get away with it. You know, I assume that in the, I assume that United States ambassadors all over the world are drug dealers probably. But yeah, they're like talking about how like, oh, you have got all this cocaine is great. Um, and I think they, I think they bring up the fact that like, um, somebody got caught, right. They're talking about like another ambassador that got caught for like drug dealing. So they're like, oh, oh, you know, like, uh, that's bad. And they like look outside and 
they see like a like this young woman they're like hey look at this and it's like she's like has like she's like selling these like little like animal dogs they're like uh you know like they're toys and stuff <laughs> and uh i think the uh uh one of the guys i forget which one he like gets a rifle <laughs> he sticks it out the window and he shoots one of the dogs which is crazy you're like oh my god he's gonna shoot like he like just shoots the dog to scare her and she like looks up and she like runs away into a car and they're like what the heck why did you like shoot like outside your window and like oh like that woman she's a part of a terrorist group that wants to kill me <laughs> that, that's pretty funny that whole part is crazy they're just like yeah we got all this cocaine all right i'm gonna shoot real quick like outside my window i love how nonchalant they are about just like the whole situation because like even yeah it's in a diplomatic sack i love that they get like it's yeah like, like a, yeah it's a big sack of like cocaine yeah yeah. And and when they're talking about like the other guy being arrested, which is something they do all the time in the movie. And I think this is one of the Luis Bunel's biggest kind of hangups is this idea of hypocrisy, especially within the wealthy. So you're talking about yeah. like how immoral it is to like be yeah. selling. <laughs> they, they talk about like, yeah, how immoral it is to like, they talk about like, I think violence a little bit in the movie, right? Because like, you know, terrorist groups, you know, they, they use violence to get what they want. But they're like drug dealers and they're about as, you know, intense and, uh, uh, you know, reactionary, I would say. Just an absolutely absurd scene, just full of absurdities all around. I love the idea of that woman being a terrorist because she just, she's just like a, a young, like, woman. And the whole, like, group of them are just, like, young kids. And the idea that these people are, like, somehow terrorists is just, there's just a certain absurdity to it. Well, they're terrorists, you know, they're terrorists, right. you know what I mean? Like, you know, they're probably, you know, in the context of the movie, you know, uh, I believe Bunuel was a Marxist. They're probably just like revolutionary, you know, uh, protesters or something like that who uh, happen to also use violence to their at their disposal as well. So so after this scene, which one, so one of the things about all of the scenes is in every scene, they're invited to pretty much every scene, they're invited to a dinner that will happen in the following scene. It's kind of how all these yeah. scenes are linked together. Because in many ways, this is similar to Popo when it, it's, it's a lot of vignettes that are kind of just like stitched together with like this it's one underlying idea. But it's about all the same characters pretty much. Yeah, I guess it's, it is about, it's this following the same characters, but it's like a series of like short films following them as they try to eat dinner. And so they are invited to a dinner at one of the couple's houses it's the it's the same couple that they try to have dinner before they're having lunch now because uh, they're like oh you can have lunch on saturday instead so they go into the house and the the couple's not there and they're like oh where's the couple and the maid i believe is like oh i'll go up and get them and they go and she walks upstairs and the couple is about to have a passionate uh they're they they really want to have sex they're really horny um (laughs) You know, they really, really like want to have sex right now, but they're like, like we have to have lunch with these people. So yeah, they're like downstairs and they're like, oh, I wonder where they are. And yeah, the couple, the younger couple, I, I would say, you know, they're, they're like, uh, uh, I know what we should do. And, you know, it shows them like, uh, you know, like, like going out the window, uh, which the maid catches them leaving like out the window and they like go into the bushes and the garden because they want to have they want to have sex, but but like they can't do it in the bedroom while the people are there because he said that like his like wife or girlfriend is too loud. So they have to go in the bushes and like the garden. That's pretty funny. That sounds like that's probably something that has happened. And like they're been they're like waiting a while. They're their friends downstairs and they're like, Oh, I wonder, 
what happened? I asked the maid and she's like, they left. I saw them leave. I don't know where they went. And they all like freak out. They're like, oh no, what if like the police are coming? They're going to arrest us. We got to go now. Like they don't even like think about it. But they, the idea once, like as soon as like the idea, the fact that like he may, like the cops are maybe involved or like he could have been arrested, they just leave immediately. <laughs> and this is kind of expressed later in their dreams. You know, they have like, like, you know, even though they're like well off, they, they still have like, like, you know, their, their anxieties are, are ever present, ever present, you know? And they're just entirely selfish human beings who never think about like anyone but themselves. They're so concerned about their own well-being that they're immediately willing just to be like, yeah, they definitely sold us out. We're leaving. We got to go. Yeah, they leave immediately. It's pretty funny. And so the four of them leave. After they leave, a priest comes by or a bishop, I should say, a bishop comes by and he comes into the house and he's talking to the maid and he's like, where, where's everybody? They're like, oh, you know, the couple went out but they should be back shortly and he's like I, I noticed that your your gardener is gone and she's like yeah he was fired like a couple of weeks ago he's like oh that's interesting so then the bishop walks over to a gardener shed and then the 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 couple that just had a uh, sex comes back and they're like where'd everybody go and they're like oh they, they just they have they like just, grass in their hair and stuff like, yeah, it's like grass all over yeah. like oh they just left and the bishop comes back wearing gardener's clothes and he's like, hey, I'm here to, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm like, Who are you? yeah, <laughs> get out of here. And they're just like berating their maid and this bishop because he's dressed in like ordinary person's clothes. And they're like, oh, what, what are you doing? You crazy old man. Get out of here. We don't want you. We never, you know, get out of here. And he leaves and he immediately comes back in bishop's clothes. And I love how immediately they're like so apologetic. Oh, they're like, oh, sorry. <laughs> Which I, I think it's it's kind of right. It's, it's partly about the idea of how the bourgeoisie use clothing, but also just wealth to kind of express their status and how important that status is. Right? How important how important it is like how you look and how they just define you know how they treat people is literally how they look. And it's the same thing, right? It, the idea is also because he is a bishop, right? It's the same thing with religion, right? They only pretend to be religious because it's. It's the bourgeois thing to do. So the only courtesy they offer to this bishop is because he is right of the holy faith. And then you'll see later on that whenever he's wearing the gardener's clothes, they don't treat him like a bishop, right? They just treat him as kind of like a helping hand. Like they just treat him as kind of like a lower class, right? Kind of like the the people that work underneath, right? Underground, sort of speak. Like these people really only operate on a surface level when it comes to other people. And the bishop's like, yeah, they come in, they're like, yeah, you're, you're right. They're like, we're sorry, we're sorry. And the bishop's like, well, I want to be your gardener. And they're like, uh, okay, that's kind of weird, but all right, yeah, you can be our gardener if you want. And he's like, yeah, like I remember when I was a kid, like he, he basically tells his life story about how like his parents were like killed by arsenic poisoning and then the culprit was never like found. And they're like, okay, cool. Well, yep, get to work, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> the scene next, which is that uh, the women the, of the, the group, uh, they go get uh, to a tea house, they go to like a restaurant or something. And they're like, yep, let's, we're going to have some drinks. Uh, can we please have some tea? And they're like, we're out of tea. Like, and they're like, what the, what? like, it's like the end of the world that they don't, they aren't able to get like their precious tea. Uh, <laughs> and uh they're like sitting there and they're like, okay, I guess we'll just get coffee. And he's like, okay. While they're sitting there, there's like a soldier like in the restaurant and they like kind of talk about them. They're like, why is it, why is he, uh, you know, looking at us or whatever? And 
the guy gets up and he's like, Hey, I'm so-and-so I'm a soldier. Can I please tell you about this dream that I had? They're like, okay, that's kind of weird. They're like, right now? You want to talk about it right now? I love how many times in this movie, people just like come up to other people and they tell them just like their entire life story. Like, or like just about a dream that they had. Like just these complete strangers. And this is already like the second or third instance of just people coming around being like, yeah, I'm just going to tell you like this. Like, I don't know who you are. Never met you before. Let me tell you this extremely personal story that I had. The soldier sits down and he's like, you know, what was your childhood like? And then they like all go around. They're like, oh, my childhood was pretty. My, child, my childhood was pretty. Yeah. <laughs> it was quite perfect. He's like, well, let me tell you about my terrible childhood. Yeah, and, okay. It's kind of weird. Okay. But... <laughs> and so he goes into the story about, well, it starts with his father. And his father's like, you're going to go to military school. I hate you. <laughs> okay. It's like this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I it's hate like, you. Awesome. Great. I don't love you. Oh, yeah. And, I, and so the kid's like wandering around and he's in, he's like writing on a mirror with yeah. like lipstick. Yeah. And he sees his mother behind him, his dead mother. She's like super pale. And he basically gives him an exact plan to murder uh, his father. And you're going to get this blue which veil. Which is his father. Yes, which is actually his father. Because his actual father was... Uh, killed and no, it was killed by the guy who claims to be his father in like a um a duel. sort of yeah a duel of sorts. And you, see, and you see like the ghost of his like dead dad, and he's got his his eye is all bloody and stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a pretty cool effect. It's like he's like has like half a face gone or whatever, and blood's yeah, all yeah. over. He's like, Here's what you're gonna do: you're gonna pour this blue vial into because apparently the guy drinks a glass of milk at midnight every night. So you're gonna pour this blue vial into his milk and then that will kill him and you know you'll be free and so he does it the guy drinks it he dies and the boy still ends up going to military school which apparently was a perfect a lovely time yeah he's like i liked it right okay <laughs> but he's like yep that's my story i killed my dad and they're like okay bye like i love it their reaction is just like they don't even like mention it or talk about it they don't even like mention talk about it among themselves they're just like, because right after that, the waiter comes over and they're like, we don't have any coffee or any drinks at all. And they're like, what? So like, I guess we'll have water, you know? It's just kind of like, they're like totally unconcerned with this incredible story that this guy told. Cause he's just like, he's just like, he's a commoner, you know? Like he's like a, it doesn't really matter. You know, it doesn't really like, it's completely like, like, what are they going to say to him? You know what I mean? Like, whoa, that's crazy. You know, they, they're way more concerned about like their food and drink um, than anything else, at least in the moment, you know, or, or themselves, you know, they're thinking about themselves. They're thinking about their food and drink. So I just think, I just love how he like tells a story and then they, they don't say anything at all. <laughs> the next scene is the one where it's like, they're having an affair. So like the ambassador is having an affair with the guy's oh. wife and like, but they're interrupted <laughs> by it because, so they're having an affair. It's like the women, the older woman and the ambassador and they're like about to, you know, get it on. And the uh, the husband comes by and he's like <laughs> to tell him something about whatever. If she's there, you know, it's like, oh, that's kind of weird that she's here. Uh, I didn't expect her to be here. And he's like, yeah, I just I was gonna tell him the same thing. <laughs> and uh, he and then they're like, all right, let's leave together. And the ambassador tries to like have her stay and like so they can have sex. Uh, but she's like, no, I have to leave. And he's like, okay, whatever. 
and she leaves and then uh you have like another um the second encounter with the maoist terrorist person which <laughs> she has come to like kill him she's like walking to the door and he like sees he like sees her walking towards him so she like he goes outside and like comes behind her and he's like don't move he's holding the gun to her he pats her down uh in a a, a sexual manner i should add yeah it's like you should make love not war blah 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 blah. yeah and then he pushes her inside (laughs) and she sits down and he pours champagne and i love that the moment that she sits down she like just picks up a lamp and and just like smashes it yeah it's good (laughs) and then he does the same thing with the campaign just to prove her i don't know marxist socialist ideals i guess yeah and he's just like "Eh, whatever and he's just talking about, you know, I used to be, you know, back in the day, I used to be a socialist too, but, you know, then I learned blah, 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 or whatever. You know, he's going on with his spiels, but as he's going on his spiel, he leaves his gun on the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she grabs his gun and she tries to yeah, shoot him. Yeah, she tries it and there's like nothing in it. <laughs> but, there's, but the guy didn't have a loaded gun. Yeah. But what he had done is he has taken her gun. Yeah, and he knows that her gun is loaded. Now he's pointing at her. It's fun. Yeah, he just kind of chastises her, you know, kind of advances on her and she refuses. And, and you know, he's just like, okay, go. And, you know, right when she leaves at the building, there's like a, his agents capture her and take her away. <laughs> that part's pretty funny. I don't know. I guess I don't know what to say about it in that, like, I guess it's just kind of like a good scene about, you know, the meeting of uh, the quote unquote bourgeoisie and the, uh, Maoist terrorist is kind of like sort of kind of shows sort of the eclipsing of any kind of like I guess uh, revolutionary action that may be presented in like the Western world, whether it be Europe or the United States. Um, at least that's my interpretation of it. After this part, you get like the the sequence where it's basically like several like aborted dinner parties one after another. They try to have dinner with the couple again at the house. And they're like, all right, we're about to eat. We're about to have some food. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, a huge group of army officers just show up. (laughs) They just come out of nowhere. They all file in. It's like a dozen of them. And they're like, we're here. We're ready to, uh, we're ready to feast. They're like, oh, I didn't expect you till tomorrow. And they're like, oh, well, I guess (laughs) we got here early. They're like, oh, well, I guess we'll try to prepare something. So they're scrambling around getting like, I don't know, all these different food things. And, you know, they're putting tables together and blah, blah, blah. They're all talking to each other. Well, while while this is going on, like while they're preparing the food, uh, I believe it's the general talks to Raphael. And he's like trying to talk about the uh, country that uh, Raphael is the ambassador of. And it's very clear that this general has no idea what's going on. like he's like oh yeah like yeah. i know all about your country and blah blah, yeah. blah he's like no it's it's in south america actually and he keeps talking about it and the general yeah yeah like, no idea where this place is like he's getting it wrong over and over again it's like oh it's that yeah <laughs> he doesn't know what to talk about with them everybody's like conversations in the movie are interesting just because like um uh they have like nothing to say really they don't want to like implicate themselves themselves in anything i guess you might say like they're completely um because the things that they, they do and, and the way that they get their money is through means that are very um, uh, morally reprehensible, you know what I mean? At least to an extent, you know, like dealing drugs or war, whatever business practices they're doing, you know, I assume, you know, it's, you know, their, their, their enterprises are dirty. So whenever they like, so like the only thing that they're kind of like interested in is in like food and drink. 
so it's kind of interesting that they always get interrupted with it and they always get interrupted by things that they're like afraid of or something like that so you have like um like the dinner party with the um army officers and one of the army officers like tells it once again it's another dream where he talks about it's basically like a weird kind of like it's fine you know it's like a dream where he's like wandering around a destroyed town and he meets like a couple dead friends and he meets his dead mom and it's like very sad and he tells the story and of course they don't react at all <laughs> actually they do react for some people they're like you should tell the dream about that or whatever like like i guess he has like really great dreams and and they're like no we got to leave and the colonel like invites them to dinner and basically when the colonel invites them to dinner you basically get this like series of like like anxiety dreams for between with the characters basically like when when the colonel invites them to dinner um i think the first one is that uh, the young guy um it, it has a dream about like going to dinner and they're having dinner and stuff and they're like all right let's get ready you know we're having dinner the the help brings like a platter of like chickens and they fall on the ground and they're like plastic and the guy's like wait what's this and then like of course like the the this the background opens up and it turns out they're like on a stage and they're like being laughed at and booed at and they're all like what the heck and they all like run away <laughs> they really do look like they're scared <laughs> it's pretty funny and they're all like what the heck like we're on stage and the young guy is like sweating and he's like oh my god you know and he wakes up and it's like oh okay it's a dream and it's kind of like uh you know uh i missed a math test type dream you know what i mean like it's like a it's an anxiety Britain dream where you know he's he's the the guy is like concerned about being laughed at or concerned about being watched or viewed um on stage you know what I mean he doesn't want to be put on a stage you know so it's kind of like a, it's like a sort of nightmare anxiety dream where his like fears you know are put on display for us in his dream and that one's pretty interesting. I like that one. Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite vignettes of the film because it's it's the, the entire idea is that the bourgeoisie is constantly you know, they really are part of a play. They're always acting. They're never yeah they are they're very, yeah they can never actually be themselves. They're constantly being someone else. Right? They're constantly reading lines. They have to pretend to be someone. It's as if they are in a theater and they are being watched right by the public, by the people, and everything that they do is scrutinized by them, especially when you think of like an ambassador or a political figure. These are people who are constantly performing and the terror that people will realize that you're just a performer, that you are just a person in theater is just absolutely terrifying to them. So I love that, that sort of mm -hmm. sequence, real sequence when you realize that they're on a stage and their like lines are being read to them by uh, just like, you know, like a stage hand or something, right? He's like reading their lines as if everything they do is just performance, as if nothing they do matters, as if everything they do is just, right, just yeah. to... Yeah, as if, they're, as if their stuff is like, as if like what they're about to say is already like predetermined, like it's not really like anything, like anything that they say isn't really like uh, an original idea or anything off the cuff. It's all like, like you said, like predetermined or pre-written inside their mind. Pretty terrifying idea. <laughs> yeah, it seems kind of difficult. But he wakes up from the dream and he's like, oh, whew, just a dream. His wife's there, they're, she's reading a book or something. And he gets a call and they're like, hey, I thought you were coming to this party. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I'm coming, I'm coming. So they go to the party. It's at the colonel's. It's at the colonel's house, right? 
so the ambassador is there and, you know, he's the ambassador of Miranda, this made up South American country. And about like three or four times, a person will come up to them and be like, oh, I heard there's tons of drug dealers and murderers in Miranda. Is that true? And he's like, no, it's not really true. And then he meets another person. They're like, I heard it's a shithole, Miranda. You know, like these people like keep like insulting the country to him as if like he's kind of like, I don't know, like his own like home country, you know, and he's just kind of like, uh, you know, like, no, 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 that's not true. And finally, the, the last guy comes up as the colonel and the colonel gets very like confrontational with him about Miranda, about like how it's a bad country or something like that. And the colonel, I think, like hits him. And, you know, and the, of course, the ambassador's like, all right. And he pulls out a gun and he just loads in one and just completely loads into the colonel. And like I said, like right when he pulls out the gun, I'm like, oh, he's dreaming. Like people wouldn't talk like this. And of course he does. He wakes up because of course the ambassador is scared that people will confront him about, um, he's almost like, it's almost like he's like, almost like ashamed or embarrassed of this country. You know what I mean? Like of his home country in a way, like it's still his home and, and in the dream he defends it, but he doesn't want to be confronted. He's of course like the dream, I guess, sort of shows that he's afraid that people will confront him about Miranda or like try to talk to him about the country in a way where they're like criticizing it. And, you know, in France, you know, around these people, they're all having a good time. You know what I mean? I like that one too. That one is also pretty good. But of course, like we said, he wakes up and it's like, oh, okay, it's a dream. Oh, this thing. Once again, they're uh, sitting down, they're about to eat. They're getting ready to eat. You know, they're talking about their bourgeois stuff, which is basically nothing. And someone knocks on the door and they're like to the maid, go, go get the door, you know, go see who that is. And of course, it ends up being just this like giant group of, well, not giant, but a group of police officers. <laughs> and they come into the house. And they're like, what, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, are you, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, yeah, that's me. He's like, oh, you're under arrest. Yeah, and he keeps doing it to each person. <laughs> are you so-and-so? Because <laughs> then the next guy comes, he's like, you can't do this to us. He's like, oh, are you, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's like, well, yes. And he's like, oh, you're also under arrest. <laughs> he does that a third time. And then the women are like, you can't, you can't do that, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, arrest him too. And he's like, what? But we're women. You can't arrest us. And he's like, no, we're, we're just going to take everybody. They're all very entitled. I like I like how the women are like, we're women, you can't arrest us. <laughs> Which I guess they didn't do anything. I, I guess they're not really like drug dealers. It's not established that they're drug dealers. Um, but yeah, it's funny. We're women, you can't arrest us. You know, they're a little entitled. It, it's funny, you know, they get arrested and they're like, why are you arresting us? You know, I think it's evident, you know, they're, they're drug dealers. <laughs> Good reason to arrest people. Most of the time, yeah, yeah. But yeah, they get like arrested and like... Uh, you know, they're like in the jail cell all together. It's like kind of, it's very like comical. They're like all in the same jail cell. <laughs> like it's like a, like a Western that has like the one jail, <laughs> one jail for everybody. And uh, they kind of tell like this little anecdote where it's like, what, like bloody Sergeant's Day. And they kind of show the story about like a, like a sergeant who like tortures like a young protester or something like that. And, and they're like, oh, it's bloody Sergeant's Day. We need to leave. They don't really explain it too well. But that's the story, and they're like, all right, we got to go. Because I think it's like a ghost story, you know? It's like the ghost of the sergeant is going to be around or whatever. And they see him, you know? They're like in the jail cell, and the bloody sergeant comes, and he, I think he, like, opens the jail cell. Mm-hmm. And then I think that's when one of the characters wakes up from the dream, right? Yeah, it's like the detective or captain or something. Right, right, the he detective, wakes, yeah. He wakes up, and he's like, oh, you know, the, the sergeant who <laughs> supposedly is like, 
you know, what's going on? He's like, oh, I had this terrible dream that you released all of our. our yeah. <laughs> and uh, then, yeah, you get like, oh, I, I, here's a call. Right. I, I love that. I love uh, this thing that they do, which is like whenever they give any sort of like important information, it's always yeah. just like overridden by just some loud noise. So like anytime there's anything important happening, like you don't actually hear the conversation because he right. gets a call from some ambassador person. And he's like, you got to release these people. And he's like, what? I'm not going to release these people. Why would I do that? And he's like, oh, let me tell you a reason. And then he goes into the spiel. And of course, as the spiel's going on, there's like a plane yeah. going on in the background or something. He's like, why? Well, I didn't hear that. And he does it again. The exact same thing happens. And he's like, oh, okay. So he hangs up. And then he tells the sergeant. And the sergeant's like, well, why do they need to be released? And of course, as he gives the explanation for a third time, there's like typewriters going on that just like overpower anything mm-hmm. that and they're like, okay, well, we'll release them. <laughs> you know, they get what they want, right? Like, we're, we're, we're rich people. Why would we be arrested, you know? Like, why would we go to jail? Like, that's not something that happens. They're, like, having dinner again, finally, again. They finally get to have their dinner, their beautiful dinner. And they're, like, eating, and they're like, oh, wow, this roast is delicious. This is awesome. I love it. And then out of nowhere, <laughs> like, these, like, gangster-looking guys come in with guns, and they're like, all right, get up. And they kind of like push them into like a part of like the living room and they just mow them down, (laughs) you know, they just like machine gun them. And uh, they're like, all right, we got them. And and then they hear like a sound and they look under the table and it's uh, the ambassador. He's like eating like, Mm -hmm. like uh, some meat and, and they shoot him too. And I think when they shoot him, I think um, uh, the ambassador wakes up them being arrested them being killed by a hit squad you know all these things you know once again you know they're uh it's kind of a combination of like anxiety and entitlement right they don't believe they deserve to be arrested for what they did even though they're like breaking the law but they're also scared about getting arrested because they theoretically could be arrested uh, for breaking the law right because they're dealing drugs you know so it's like you know that's what they're most scared about you know, being humiliated and not being able to be uh, like a rich person anymore. It reminded me of that scene in Tampopo where the guy gets arrested and like, after he's arrested, he's like just let me have like one more morsel. Of yeah, food. that, yeah. It's very similar to the idea of, you know, this guy's literally willing to risk his life and, you know, ends up dying, quote unquote, at least in the dream, because he wants to eat that roast. Like he's so obsessed with his own pleasure and luxury that he yeah. is unable to like ever to see beyond it even if his own life is at risk like he would rather eat like be in pleasure and just slaughtered than just you know living they killed him and like i said like the ambassador wakes up and um the final scene is we've had this reoccurring scene where um um throughout the film where uh like the the six characters are walking silently on this like long country road and we've gotten we've gotten that scene intermittently and the movie of course ends with that scene where you know, it's them walking like to nowhere, I guess is the idea, right? Like they're kind of like going nowhere. And when I say going nowhere, I mean, I guess they're not really like, they're not really going to reach, I guess, a place that is of real pleasure, I guess you might say. Not pleasure in terms of like, like food or drink or money, but pleasure in terms of, I don't know, like a fulfilling or real or authentic life, I guess you might say. At least that's how I interpret it. Yeah, their life is literally meaningless they're just walking i mean their entire life is basically just walking to and from nowhere it's just you know the the participation of walking like that's all their life is is just 
like existing like they have no reason to be alive they have going for them they have, you know they're not going anywhere they're not doing anything their entire life is basically just walking down an empty road and that's how the movie ends well, andrew final thoughts and rating i think i'll give the movie like a pretty solid seven out of ten it's very good i really enjoyed it like i said it's oddly compelling uh even when nothing is being said i like that stuff a lot um you know, I do like when it kind of like dips in and dips out of like dreams and, you know, uh, and I do think it's, you know, uh, uh, the the construction of the movie is very interesting in that they keep trying to have dinner and have lunch and stuff and they keep being interrupted uh, by all these like different weird things that keep transpiring. I wasn't, I, the movie is pretty drab, but, you know, everybody in the movie is good. I like the writing, which I think it was why it was so compelling. And, you know, some dream sequences, you know, they're fine. They're cool. Um, and it's a pretty funny movie too. And I think, you know, Boonwell like really kind of cuts into, I think he does really cut really well into kind of, you know, the bourgeoisie class of the, of the, uh, upper class echelon of, uh, at least European. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, I will watch more of Boonwell's stuff. I am going to give this movie an eight out of 10. It's not my favorite Boonwell film. I think he has some films that are just more. I guess the best way to say is just have more to say than this film. Not that this film doesn't have a lot to say. I think it's a really interesting film. It's a really intriguing film. There's something magnificent about the way Luis Buñuel frames his films. And there's just so much movement going on, like not just with the characters, but also with the camera. And it feels almost nonsensical. But at the same time, there's just this, it's almost like watching a ballet in a certain sense, because like the camera just has these like big sweeping movements on these dollies and these cranes and it's just constantly moving and even when nothing's really happening i think that's part of the reason why at least for me i feel so intrigued in the film because it's not like they just put a camera on sticks and just sit it there and have them talk for like 20 minutes the camera's just like constantly moving from like character to character and you have almost this it, it's not as if you are one of the characters within it but you have almost this like godlike perspective in the way that you can kind of see things and the way it moves and it's just so fascinating and interesting and i think bunuel has a lot to say about bourgeoisie and the different classes and just the absurdity of the whole thing. And I think this film is very funny in a kind of dark and drab way, as you put it. I just, I really enjoyed watching the film again. All right, y'all. Thank you for listening. You can find me at AustinLego12. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AUHarp24. You can also add me on Letterboxd at RetroAndrew, the O being a zero. And you can find this podcast wherever you hear podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Instagram at With Nothing to Say Podcast. And uh, again, shout out to our amazing and wonderful editor, Shannon. She is the best. She does the work of God himself. Literally, no one could do what she does. So thank you, and thank you all for listening. Thanks, guys. We did it again. Yeah.